Well, hello. Good morning. I hope y'all are having a great week this week. Uh, what a what a wonderful way to start off your week. Uh, I don't know about you, but this is a time that I need to be able to come in and worship and get my week refocused on God and what's really important. So thank you for joining us here for this. If you're a guest and I haven't gotten to say hi to you, hi. It's good to see you. Uh, we'll have to, I'll have to meet you afterwards, but thank you for being here. Uh, today is a little bit of a surprise that I am here. I mean, like right here in this spot. Uh, so we had, we had, it's been kind of a crazy week. You ever have one of those weeks where it, it seems like everything's, somebody's already said yes. They don't even, I didn't even finish the sentence. Right? yep, me, that's, that's me. I, sign me up. No, don't sign me up, actually. But it, it, one of those crazy weeks where things feel like they're kind of falling apart or a wild week. And that's been kind of the week we've had. It, it's, it's been crazy. And, and not just for me, but for our whole staff, we've had just different things going on. Uh, I got a call, just so you know. Uh, I got a call from Rick, who, if you don't know this, he is our lead pastor here. He's usually the one who teaches on Friday evening, and his dad has been battling with cancer for a while, and it took a turn for the worse. And so he felt like the thing that he needed to do, and I totally agree, was to just pack up and leave. And so um, I, I tell you this for a couple of reasons. One is I want you to just really be in prayer for him and his family. It's uh, his Rick's father is a wonderful man I've gotten to meet several times and just a man of God and that makes it a lot easier I think during these difficult times but it's still not easy you know it's, it's very hard to lose somebody so keep them in your prayer and, and before I get to my second one I want us to just stop and we're going to pray for him right now okay let's go ahead and bow our heads Heavenly Father I thank you I thank you for the way you love us thank you for today God as I'm speaking today let these be your words and not mine let my words fall short and your words ring true in the ears of everybody listening. Open it up. Open up our hearts that as we pour into your word, that what you want to speak to us is shown and that we hold on to it and it changes our lives. God, we ask right now that you be with Rick and his family, be with his dad, be with uh, Rick's mother also. And just I know this is a this is a very difficult time. And so give them your peace and your comfort during this time. Put your hand on them. Watch over them, Lord. Be with everybody, anybody in here who is, who is uh, suffering right now, who has something going on, who has, is facing a difficult situation, whether it be with family or work, whatever they have going on, God, I ask that you, you, you give us your peace. Let us see you through this. And let us see you working inside of our situations. We thank you for the way you love us, Jesus. It's your name we pray. Amen. So I, I want to I tell you this because I want you to be in prayer for his family. And then number two, I want to tell you this, and this is a much lighter note, is that this might be the shortest sermon that you have ever heard, okay? So this, hey, you know what? Everybody, everybody really cheered in first service, so thank you. I like y'all more, okay? I, was, I, was really, I didn't know how I was going to handle that. If, if people cheered too loud, I thought, is it going to be embarrassing if I cry? Or what, how, do, how do I handle that? And so, no, no. So, uh, you know, it's going, to be, it's going to be an interesting sermon. I told everybody in first service, I said, what's going to be interesting about it is we're both going to be surprised by what I say at the same time. Like, we're going to be figuring it out because, you know, I don't really know. I just heard Friday night, and so yesterday I prepared, and we already had a crazy day. And so, but I, I'm excited about what I have to say and what we're getting into. So I'm, I am grateful for this opportunity. So we're starting this week in the, the book of Philippians. Now, we just ended a series called Everybody Always, and this was a more uh, kind of a topical 
uh, series that we went through. Well, now we're going through Philippians, and this is uh, not to get too fancy of a word, but kind of an exegetical. We're going to just oh, see what the Word of God says and how we can apply that to our lives. And so we're just going to look at it and see what, what is God saying to us through this. And to, but I want to first give you a little bit of background into the book and, and, and into this. And so first of all, it was written by Paul. And you may know all this, but I hope it's, it's fresh to you anyways. But uh, it was written by Paul. Now, Paul was, growing up, was a person who severely persecuted Christians. He took part in the stoning of Christians. And so they'd take somebody out. They would find that they were following Jesus, and they would stone him to death in the streets. I mean, it was awful. But this is who Paul was. Paul would go knocking on doors looking for people who followed Jesus or followed what he used to be called the way followers of the way and, and, and would take them out and kill them. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. And then and Paul, on, his, on the road to Damascus, uh, encounters Jesus. And Jesus says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He comes to know who Christ is and that he is the real Messiah, gives his life to him, and then and Paul ends up being like the super Christian, okay? Like if there, he should have a cape or something. I mean, he's it's just incredible. If you could, I, I would say outside of Jesus, this is probably the person that we know of, at least in the Bible, that we should follow the most. He just lives an incredible, incredible life, totally focused on sharing with other people what he has found out about Jesus and sharing the good news with other people. And so he became a missionary, and you can read about his, uh, the missionary journeys that he goes on in the book of Acts. He becomes a missionary, and on his second missionary journey, he comes to a place called Philippi. And there, he, what he's doing is he's going to all these urban, kind of metropolitan areas, busy cities, uh, and just starting churches in them. And then he'll travel to the next place and start a church, and he raises up leaders there. And then at, when he has time or when he can, he goes back and encourages those places. But a lot of times he can't go back. Uh, for example, in this book here, Philippians, that we're reading, he can't go back because he's in prison when he writes it. So he can't leave. So the church in Philippi sends a, a kind of a care package to him almost, and uh, he, he takes, he gives to the person bringing the care package, he gives him a letter whenever he sends him back. And this letter is what we're reading. And so it's incredible that it's preserved to this time, that we get to see what Paul was saying to this church in Philippi. And so whenever we say the book of Philippians or Ephesians, or there's, a, there's a lot of them. Really, these are letters or epistles that are called sometimes, but letters that are just written to churches uh, and that we get to read. Now, the, the difference in Philippians than in a lot of these letters, uh, really all the other letters have something in common where Paul, at least a little bit, but sometimes he does it a lot, he's like getting on to people. Like, hey, you guys got to, I see what you're doing over there. You got to straighten up. This is not what I taught you to do. I need you to get your act together. And I mean, you read through First and Second Corinthians, and it feels like the whole time he's just getting on to people. You know. But in Philippians, it's the total opposite of that. It's, it's encouragement the whole time through the book of Philippians. And that's what makes Philippians, it's only four chapters long, but I think just a fantastic book. And I, I would encourage you to go this week, if you haven't read it recently or never read it before, to go through and read all of it. It's, it's what I like to call the, uh, the coffee cup book, because if you go and you buy a coffee, coffee cup with a verse on it, there's a good chance it's a verse from Philippians. It's got so many little pieces of information that are just encouraging and uplifting, so many great things to take out of it. And, but I, I just want to give you this context. Oh, actually, I, I, before I move on, I, 
I had this picture because I was thinking, you know, if you're, if you're like highlighting, this is what it looks like when you're reading through Philippians. You just highlight, you're highlighting all of it, okay? It's a real low-quality picture, but I just thought that was, that was pretty funny. Anyways, that, that's the way it feels. There's so many good things. There's not some real storyline through Philippians. It's just a section of encouragement. And then, oh, by, yeah, by the way, here's another section of encouragement, another section. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to take chapter 1 of Philippians, this is a four-week series, and we're going to look at what I have are just uh, four things that I found in there that I think are very encouraging and, and hopefully will be to you. Now, I'm missing about a hundred things here because it's so chock full of stuff, and you may come and say, well, these four things are better that I found, and good for you. Whatever, as long as we're reading, that's what matters. And so go, go and read it and find it out for yourself, and you can come argue with me later if you, if you really have time to just argue with somebody about that. But, uh, but my, my four things that I have, and we'll kind of go through it. We're not going to read every verse in here, but we'll cover most of it. So my, my first thing, first lesson from Philippians 1 and this is kind of a strange sounding one, but there's a, there's a level playing field at the foot of the cross. A level playing field at the foot of the cross. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, or if you can grab sermon notes out of the pews in front of you that has all the scripture that I'm going to read on here. I'm going to read this first, and then I'll explain it some. But Philippians 1, 3 through 10 is where we're reading. Philippians 1, 3 through 10. It says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God both in my imprisonment, imprisonment, because remember he's in prison when he's writing this, and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. So this is right at the beginning. He's saying, I want you to, I'm, I'm writing this to you because I want you to, Y'all are doing good. I'm encouraging you, but I want you to make sure you understand. Here's what really matters. Now, he writes, I mentioned he writes to Philippians, or the church of Philippi, and it's a little different. He writes this letter. It's a little different, more encouraging. But I think part of it is that Paul, and he even says here, he had a very special relationship with the people that were there. But it was a very kind of strange mix of people from what we know. So the interesting thing about Philippians is that we can actually see the beginning of this church. Remember I said that the, the missionary journeys of Paul are recorded in the book of Acts. So in Acts 16, we get a look into some of the beginnings, not all of it, but some of the beginnings of this church here. So I want to just point out, talk about three different people that are involved at the beginning of this church that we get to see. And this is all from Acts 16. I'm not going to read it all, but I just want, I just want to tell you about it. First, we have Lydia. Now, Lydia was a merchant of purple, which purple was considered like a, a royal color, and she was this high-end, would be like a white collar. She was very uh, rich, very wealthy person. She, the Bible actually says that she worshipped God. She just did not know about Jesus. She knew that a Messiah was coming, that, okay, a Savior is going to come at some point and pay for my sins. Paul meets her and talks to her while they're kind of at this like women's Bible study, it sounds like, and, they're, uh, he, and he tells her, no, no, the Messiah has already come. It's Jesus. 
And so she believes in what Paul says and then is baptized. That's just the perfect response. She just believes in him and is baptized. And then immediately after this, Paul meets somebody very different. He meets the slave girl who's following him around and shouting and saying, you know, they serve uh, the most high God. And she's, she's possessed by a demon is what Acts 16 tells us. And she keeps shouting over and over. And even though what she's shouting is kind of a good thing, uh, Paul gets annoyed with her, the Bible says, which is just fun that you at least hear Paul gets annoyed still. Uh, but he gets annoyed and he casts the demon out of her. But see, this slave girl, though, she was, she was enslaved. She was exploited because since she had a demon in her, she could, the Bible says that she was, a, she was like a fortune teller. She could tell people's future. And so her owners were using her to make money. And then once she had the demon cast out of her, then she was considered worthless. So her owners get so mad after this that they take Paul and Silas, who was with him on these missionary journeys, and ends up, has them beaten and thrown in jail. And so there's this slave girl, and here's Lydia up here who's very wealthy, has got things going on. She is, you know, has... has is in a very profitable business, this businesswoman, and then you've got this slave girl who is at the bottom rung of society, completely worthless, or would have been seen that way by society. While Paul and Silas are in jail, though, uh, this jailer is put over them, and the jailer is told not to have them, not to let them be released. Make sure they stay in here. And so the Bible says he's, they're thrown into the inner dungeon which sounds pretty fancy. I don't know what that is, but I guess it's a deep dungeon, like way back, make sure. And then an earthquake comes, and all of their shackles fall off. The doors are opened up, and they are freed to walk out. Well, when the jailer realizes this, he takes a sword to kill himself because in this culture, in this Roman culture, that the jailer, uh, if he lets somebody go who was under his care, would be killed. Now, we see this happen another time in Scripture, and the, the first response isn't to kill yourself. And so we, I'm assuming, and I'm, I'm making an assumption here, that this is a middle-class, very militant kind of guy here. Uh, and so, again, that's an assumption. I don't really know. But, it, but and then he, he, Paul stops him from killing himself and says, Hey, no, 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 we're still here. Don't worry. We haven't left. I know we can leave because the doors are open. We haven't left. He ends up, the jailer asks Paul, how do, how do I be saved? Tell me about this. Because I'm assuming he's heard Paul singing, it said, and, and preaching about Jesus. And so Paul tells him about Jesus and who he is, and he believes, and he gives his life to Christ, and he's baptized. Him and his whole household even are baptized. Now, we, we don't see if the slave girl, we don't, we don't know this, just to, you know, if she came to Christ or not. Here's what we do know, though, is that all of these people found freedom in Christ. This is a really interesting section to read. All of these people have something in common, though, because they found freedom in Christ. And so when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he has these people in mind. And he, he knows how special they are to him. You have to think, he's, he's not just writing to some random people out there. These are, these are people he has done life with, that he has, he's had an earthquake and been set free and then got to baptize somebody that night who was the guy who was, had him in prison. And, I, mean, I mean, crazy stories that he has. But here's, here's why I have this point that there's a level playing field at the foot of the cross is because right here Paul says that we are partners in spreading the gospel. 
We're partners in letting people know about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And it doesn't matter if you're the slave girl, and it doesn't matter if you're wealthy Lydia, and it doesn't matter if you're the jailer. At the foot of the cross, we are all in surrender to Jesus, and so we're all equal. And there's a great lesson for us to take from this. There's really a good challenge for us in this. Because I think sometimes we have uh, some biases in us or, or something that maybe stops us from, from sharing our faith with somebody or talking to somebody about Jesus because maybe they make more or less money than us or maybe they look different than us or smell different than us or you know, whatever all the things are but that stop us from sharing our faith. And he's saying, look, I, I don't care who you are and what you've done. I don't care if you're the, the doctor or the drug dealer or, the, or whatever it is. When you come to Christ, Christ, we are all equals under the banner of Christ. And so for us, for us, it's, it, we, I think our challenge here is to remove that in us. And so, so there's really two things here. If you have not given your life to Christ and it's because of, well, my past here, and if you knew my past or if you knew what was really going on or how I grew up, or uh, Paul's saying none of that matters. Not that it doesn't matter. I'm not discrediting your story. He's saying when you give your life to Jesus, we're all equal under Jesus. We are partners in this to spread the gospel. And then for those of us who have given our lives to the Lord, there's something incredible for us that we can remove all those barriers, that we don't need to not talk to somebody because, about Jesus because of whatever status you think they have or don't have, that this message is for everyone. And so Paul shares this with them just to encourage them in this, to keep them growing in this, to challenge them in this. Okay, so number two, number two, the second lesson from Philippians 1 is that you're suffering... Your suffering can help others see Jesus. Your suffering can help others see Jesus. In Philippians 1, 12 through 14, it says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, everything that has happened to me here, has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, and we'll come back to that, that's important, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. In other words, it is, it's a good thing I'm in prison. Paul's saying, isn't, you know, isn't it great that I'm in prison? You know, what, how, how do you, Paul had to be such an annoying guy to talk to if you, if you did not love Jesus. Because they were like, okay, stop preaching or we'll throw you in prison. He was like, okay. Or, okay, stop singing while you're in prison or we'll kill you. And he's like, kill me. Great. I'll be with Jesus. His, I mean, it's like, what do you do to this guy? And, but he's saying it's good that I'm in prison. It's good because uh, for everyone here, including, this is verse 13, including the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Now, th this didn't really hit me until I, I, I saw this at, in, in Philippians 4. So the very, the farewell, the end of the letter that he's writing, the last Three verses. I'm going to share two of the last three verses with you, and I'll show why this is so important. Give, me, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. So we're all saying hi to you, even though we're hanging out in jail over here. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. Now this is, this is kind of crazy, because Paul is saying, he says earlier at the beginning where we are, 
Okay, all of these people, all of these guards, these palace guards, know about Jesus because I'm in prison. So it's a good thing I'm in prison because people are coming to visit me. I'm speaking to them about Jesus, and Jesus is becoming more known to them. And then later he's saying it's, it, it's even so much so that people are believers now that are in Caesar's household. Now, now these are Roman people, and Roman people viewed Caesar as a god. He was a divine being. And I know as crazy as that sounds, that, that's what they called him, as a divine being. And so uh, he's saying, look, even people inside of Caesar's own house now follow the real Lord because I'm in prison. So it's a great thing. It's good I'm here in prison. And, and I think to us, sometimes, you know, we look at this and, and say, it's like, what? You know, if this were me, now Paul's a much, much better person than I am. I pray to be more like him. But if it were me, I, w- I would find, I would have so many things I'd be complaining about. Like, these facilities are not very good, okay? <laughs> I, uh, have you seen, you know, the food isn't, the meal situation isn't great, and the, the bathroom situation, I don't even want to get into that. And, and, I, I, and I'm in prison here, and pe- things are miserable, pray for me. And Paul doesn't do that. He, he takes his suffering and says, look at what opportunity I have to share Jesus with people. And for us, uh, I, don't th- I don't know that this makes suffering any easier. I know we have people in here suffering, going through something right now, and I don't know what everybody's situation is, but uh, you know, I don't know that it makes it any easier. But I think what Paul is showing us is that we need to view that our suffering really gives us an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Our suffering at times gives us opportunities to bring glory to God because when somebody sees someone suffering and sees that they have joy no matter what their circumstances you know, you look at that and you just give glory to God for that. And so our suffering can become a testimony to other people. And Paul shows this firsthand to people, to the, you know, the people of Philippi. And this is one thing I think he's really trying to teach them, trying to get them to learn, to, to let them take on. Number three, number three is Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. These few verses here, uh, 21 through 25, are some of the most packed verses. I, I love what's said here. There's so many different things you can take out of it. Um, and so I, I, hope, I hope you see what I'm, what I'm trying to give here out of this. But there's, there's so many different things you could say about this. I love these verses. It says, for, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Now, a lot of versions probably more commonly say to live is Christ and to die is gain. And really what Paul is saying here is that living is good, but dying is great. Like, what? Well, yeah, because living, when I live, I get to live for Christ. I get to show other people about Christ. I get to teach about Christ. I get to preach about Christ. I get, I get to display Christ here on earth. But when I die, I get to be with Christ. And so he's saying, look, don't, don't get confused. Like, if I, and I think part of this was setting people up. If I do die in here, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm better off. You know, this is what I'm saying. It's, it's hard to do anything against Paul. What do you do to him? You kill him? Great. Okay. He, he's excited about that. You know, so to live is Christ. I get to share Christ. But to die is gain. It's even better. And then he goes on to say, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. He's having this kind of internal conflict. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. So he comes to this conclusion here. For your sakes, it is better that I live. 
And then he says something, I, I think this is so profound in verse 25. It's one of those things you can just kind of skip over and miss if you're not really paying attention to it. But knowing this, knowing this, that it's better that I live for you, knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. So I've had this debate. I don't know if it's, it's good that I'm alive. It'd be better if I'm dead. But actually, you know what? It'd be better if I'm alive so I can tell you more about Jesus. Because of this, I know that I will live. Now, if this were my response, I think what I would be thinking, you know, probably what he should have said would be, okay, so I, I, I'm having this internal debate, but I really hope that Rome lets me live. Because Rome is in charge, Rome is in control, right? right. They're, they're the ones who put me in prison. I know he's, Paul's a Roman citizen, and so he has, he has a little clout in there. But, but you know, I hope, hope that Rome lets me live. I hope Rome doesn't oppress me. I pray that Rome releases me. I, I, you know, I, I hope that this is what happens. But he doesn't say that. It's as if he doesn't really think Rome is in control. Right? He, he knows it's not, it's not Rome that's deciding these things. They may be the governing power here on earth, but they're not the governing power in heaven. He's saying, really, God is in control, and I, I know that I'm going to be released because I know it would be better for you. Paul understands that even though his circumstances don't make sense, even though he can look around and say, you know, he could say, God, I'm doing a lot of stuff for you. I'm out here preaching, and you get me thrown in prison. What's up, God? Like, what, what, are you, what are you thinking here? Right? I'm doing good things for you, and this is what happens to me. Uh, no, he knows that th this is for my good. This is for the good of others. And so when Jesus wants me to get out of here, I will. Because God is the one who's in control. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is a really good thing to know. It's really, this is good news for us. Because there are a lot of things that seem very much out of control in our lives. I tell you, my, my wife and I had a very, had a very tough week this week. We, we found out some news that's pretty devastating or potentially pretty devastating. And I don't... I, not going to get into it too much, but it's, uh, we, we found out some very tough news this week, and it's, it's been one of those weeks. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's really helped to know, although I, I very much fault in this. I'm not saying I have it figured out by any means, but uh, it's very helpful to know that, okay, God, I don't understand everything, but I do know that you're in control. Like You, you still sit on the throne even when things don't add up. And so I hope this brings you comfort in your trials and in your suffering and in your times where it seems like I'm chasing more after God and I've stopped doing the things I shouldn't really be doing and I've started doing more of the things that I should be doing and life isn't getting any better. It actually just seems to be getting harder and more obstacles are thrown in the way. And I think those are times for us to remember that, okay, you know what, I don't get it all. But I'm going to continue to trust what his word says. I'm going to continue to trust that God is in control, that Jesus is in charge. And then the last point I have here, uh, number four, is we should live. We should live as citizens of heaven. We should live as citizens of heaven. I think this is, you know, it's hard to pick a main verse out of Philippians because there's so many incredible verses. But this is, I think this one kind of ties everything else together. If we can understand this, if we can really wrap our heads around it, then the rest of what Paul says really makes sense. In Philippians 1.27 it says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul's saying, look, 
I know you're going through some stuff. I'm going through some stuff. Let's have joy in the Lord because, honestly, we're only here for a little while. This, our life here on earth is temporary. We are, our, our citizenship, where I live, is really in heaven. When we give our lives to Jesus, our citizenship is in heaven. And so don't focus too much on the things of this world, on the things of this earth. Uh, James chapter 2 talks about when, when you die, your, your soul is separated from the body. It's like your, your real self is, is separated from your earthly body. Because your earthly body just is back to dust, you know, it's nothing. I heard, I heard a story uh, the other day, and it was this husband and wife had been married for a really long time, they, you know, very long time, and they'd had kind of a rough marriage. The, the husband, you know, was, was kind of stingy, and he wasn't real kind to the wife. And so the husband's on his deathbed, uh, and the wife comes up to him, and he says, you know, will, will you grab underneath the bed? There's a briefcase in there. So she goes under the bed and grabs the briefcase out. Pulls out. He said, okay, will you open it up? And she opens it up, and she sees there's just, just tons of money in there. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, it must be at least a couple hundred thousand dollars, all this money. And she thought, she said, oh, thank you so much. You have been saving this money for me in case something happened to you so I would be well taken care of. Ah, just I, thank you, thank you. It's so unexpected. And he says, no, no, that's not for you. What I need you to do is I need you to put it in the attic. That way when my soul leaves my body, I can just kind of pick it up on the way out, okay? Like I'll, I'll just like, grab it and make sure I, I don't miss it, you know, because, and, and so she's talking to a friend about it the next day, and they're having this conversation. She's like, okay, so he wanted me to do this, and he had this money and kind of explaining it. She's like, well, what did, what did you do? And he's like, well, I put it where he could get it. And she said, are you serious? You put that money in the attic? And she said, no, no, I put that in the cellar. I know where he's going, okay? <laughs> and, and so, you know, that, and that's not, that's not really how it works. Okay, go on. But, but you, you get the point. We're not, we're not taking anything with us. Our, the things on earth that we think matter so much have no importance. We waste so much time and so much energy worrying about things that are so temporary. They have no eternal significance. And our, our thoughts and our concerns should be on the things that do have eternal significance. Uh, I, I read this quote this week, and I thought, I just love this. This was a fantastic quote. I don't know who it's even from, but our lifestyle should reflect that Jesus is our king and heaven is our home. When you understand that heaven is your home, you talk to people differently, you interact with people differently, all your conversations are different. They're, they're intentional the things you do in life are intentional. You don't worry about the same things you used to worry about. Your, your hope is not in your savings account anymore. Your hope is in Jesus. Because, again, he's the one in control. And when we can see this and we, when we can grab it and understand it, especially the way that Paul saw it and understood it, the rest of these points make a lot more sense. You see your suffering better. You see your situations that are out of control that don't make sense. You see them through a different lens because you know what? I'm not, I'm, I'm just here for a little while. And then I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to move on and be with Jesus forever. And so I want to end with, with really just kind of two challenges in, to two different groups of people. And one is if you have never given your life to the Lord. If you, I, I don't know where everybody is on their spiritual journey, and some of you, this, you may be your first week in a church in 30 years or something, and I just want to encourage you, if you've never given your life to the Lord, there is, 
first of all, just like the first point, it, 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 it does not matter what your past looks like. Jesus died for every single person. Uh, Jesus is for you. He died for you. He loves you unconditionally. And there's not some you thing you have to do to earn it. It's not about earning it. We can't earn it. Uh, if we had to earn it, then it would be about how good we are. And it's not about how good we are. It's about good, how good he is. And so give your life to Jesus today. Make that decision. When Paul talked to Lydia about, and she already knew who God was, God of the Old Testament anyways, but she had never met and encountered Jesus. And he talks to her and she believes and then gets baptized. And, you know, that's really the steps for you to take if you have never done this. To believe in the Lord, put your faith in him, put your trust in him, and then be baptized into him. And so that, that's my challenge for you. That's something I want to encourage you in if you've never made that decision. And there, there's nothing, you, don't have to, there's, you don't have to come and make that decision at any certain spot or time. I mean, it can be right here, right now, uh, whenever. And my, my thing for everybody else, if, if you already have given your life to the Lord, you are a citizen of heaven. You have decided you want to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe my challenge for you is, are you enduring our tourist destination too much? Okay, are you finding your hope? Are you finding your fulfillment in things that are outside of Jesus? And it's so easy to do. This, I mean, because this world is so distracting. And it, it, everything in this world seems to be trying to focus us and get our mind and eyes and hearts away from Christ. And so I just want to encourage you to, to, to push out whatever distractions you have in your life, whatever things you have going on that are taking you away from Jesus. And remember that I, I'm going to spend some time here with the person that I'm going to spend eternity with. And you'll begin to see things more the way that Paul did and the way that Paul understood who God was and how he loved people and how his primary purpose here on earth Paul's primary purpose was to spread the good news. And that good news is Jesus, to tell people about him. So I want to encourage you in that this week. Go and read Philippians this week. Let's go learn this better together and come back and tell me all the things that you know and all the points that I had wrong. <laughs> go go, and, go and, and challenge me with those things. But let's, let's remember this week, let's go and live as citizens of heaven, knowing that this is, this is temporary. This is not where we belong forever. We're here for a short amount of time.